Hello, this is Kelly McGee, and today's date is October the 20th, 2020, and I have a podcast I wanted to share with you, and it's called Out of This World. live today on BBS Radio 1 out of the beautiful San Francisco Bay Area. I'm so happy to have uh, Andy Wakefield on. He'll be coming on in just a few minutes, and he's a fabulous fellow, and I'm just so happy to have him here today. Um, I want to thank everyone so much for their beautiful love and support uh, for Out of This World Radio. Um, Together, I know that we we can make this world a much better and happier place, and I'm so happy that you're all listening today purpose of this show is to, is to raise consciousness and make this world a, a better place. And um, I know that if, if we all work together, we can make this earth a, a much better place. I want to thank Don and Doug at BBS for all their fantastic and wonderful help. Um, and um, my radio shows are supported by listener contributions. And if you'd like to contribute, just go to my website at outofthisworldradio.net and click on the PayPal buttons for, for a donation. They're very appreciated. I also have two of the radio shows in Miami, Florida, where I broadcast on Fridays from 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Time on WWNN, as well as in Vienna, Austria on Monday evenings from 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Central European Time. So I hope you can listen to those as well. All the broadcast information is on my website at www.outofthisworldradio.net. Um, uh, some of the shows haven't been putting getting, getting on the website, but be patient. I hope to get all the shows on this week with with uh, with 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 uh, a lot of work. Um, today's show, I'll have I'll have Dr. Andy um, Wakefield on, and the following following hour will be uh, uh, Alfred Levermont Weber coming to us from beautiful Vancouver, Canada. Alfred's a fantastic lawyer. Um, he's got some fantastic, some interesting things to say. I know you'll really uh, enjoy his interview. I'm continuing to raise money for the Hopi Indians. Um, they need uh, they need food and water and clean water. Their food supplies have unfortunately been cut during this so-called COVID virus um, uh, uh, pandemic. And so I've been raising monies for, for food for the Hopi. With, um, um, and so far, we've raised over about probably five or $6,000. If you'd like to contribute to the Hopi uh, food, please go to my website at outofthisworldreadings.com um, uh, and just click on uh, donations for the Hopi under miscellaneous, and your support would be really appreciated. Also, for decades, for the past 50 or 60 years, the Hopis have been drinking um, a radiation-contaminated and arsenic-contaminated water, with the result that their longevity only goes for about age 44 for men and 54 for women. Um, I consider this unacceptable, and so I've been raising uh, monies for clean water for the Hopi um, since for the last two years. Uh, we've raised probably somewhere over $35,000 for clean water filters for the Hopi. Um, many homes now are getting clean water where they haven't had clean water in 50 or 60 years. Um, but your contributions are still needed, and they really help people. The, um, for, uh, 
for $125, a, a clean water filter can be purchased for the Hopi, which will provide um, uh, clean water for the Hopi for, for many, many years. So if you'd like to, uh, like to donate, please go to my website at outofthisworldreadings.com and just click on miscellaneous for the, for the Hopi, and you'll see the little tab there with, it, with more information. I just returned from Mount Shasta a, a few weeks, a few days ago after um, visiting Mount, both Mount Shasta and Mexico. I had 20 years of, of dental work done on, on my teeth in one week, and um, with uh, 10, <laughs> it was really amazing. I had like seven crowns and two root canals and a partridge and a pear tree. I had, uh, I was in surgery for over 20 hours, and um, so, and I was in a lot of pain for the past two weeks, but finally, I'm pain-free now, and they did a wonderful job in Mexico, so I can talk without pain. Uh, my jaw's still a little swollen, but it's it's getting better. So I've fallen behind in my emails and correspondence, and um, so. But I'm planning on getting to everybody this week, so uh, please be patient. I've also fallen behind in my book orders and tuning fork orders, but those will all go out on on Monday. So I just want to let you know um, I'm feeling better now, uh, but it's been a long process. I've waited a long time to do this. I also have a spiritual mentoring program where I teach people how to talk to the other side and I give readings. If you're interested, please um, visit my website at outofthisworldreadings.com and all the information's there. Um, I've also published a book called Messages from the Masters with messages from Albert Einstein, John F. Kennedy, Nostradamus, and other great spirits on our beautiful, bright future. And um, I'm also, I also have special 528 Hertz Love Tuning Forts with Marian Crystals from Mount Shasta. If you're interested in any of these things, please visit my new website at outofthisworldreadings.com. And one of the people who've been, um, who's been making this planet a much better place is, is Andy Wakefield. And I'm so honored and pleased to have him on today. Um, Andy, how are you doing? I'm so happy to have you here. But I'm wonderful. Thank you very much. I'm, in, uh, I'm on tour with the film up in Boise, Idaho at the moment, and it's beautiful. We don't get a lot of fall colors in Miami, so uh, it's a joy. Oh, oh, good, wonderful, wonderful. You know, as, as I was telling you earlier, um, it used to be that uh, Idaho was famous for its famous potatoes. I was wondering if you've had any potatoes or seen them there on the streets, maybe walking around or uh, met them. <laughs> I'm, ke- I'm keeping an eye out, Ted, but uh, not so far. <laughs> well, that's that's good, that's good. Um, uh, uh, Andy is an academic uh, gastroenterologist. If I mispronounce that, please let me know. Um, and um, he received his medical degree from St. Mary's Hospital Medical School in London in 1981. Um, he's had a fantastic um, career in the medicine. Um, and also now he's, uh, he, well, you, we can tell us about that. There was a, um, there was a, let me see here. It was a, um, it was a report um, that, um, uh, that you did uh, back in the late 80s, 90s, on the, um, um, I believe it was, uh, was on the MMR vaccine. What happened as a result of that, Andy? I know it's kind of a long story, but in 20- Well, I'll try, I'll try and put it in a sort of potted summary. I, for those who don't know, I was a mainstream gastroenterologist. I was entirely mainstream medicine, uh, whatever that means. And I became a surgeon fellow of the Royal College of Surgeons and and my principal interests were inflammatory bowel disease, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis. And I, I had ran a large research team at the Royal Free looking at those conditions. And then in May 1995, I started getting contacted by parents who said, 
my child was perfectly well until they'd had their measles, mumps, rubella vaccine in many cases, and they had then regressed into autism shortly after they'd been perfectly normal. They'd been developing entirely normally, and then things changed. And the reason they were coming to me is because the children, their children had terrible gastrointestinal issues that the psychiatrists and psychologists had put down to autism. And uh, that didn't make any sense to me. These were physical symptoms of an underlying disease until proven otherwise. And so we investigated these children uh, and lo and behold, the parents were absolutely right. The medical profession was completely wrong. These children had underlying intestinal inflammation. And when we treated that, not only did the bowel disease, the bowel symptoms improve, but the behavioral symptoms, the autism symptoms improved as well. It was rather like that story, Lorenzo's Oil. Your listeners will remember that. And so we um, put this into an academic research setting and we characterized the bowel disease. But the, we had to take this the parents' concern about the vaccine extremely seriously because uh, they'd been right about the bowel disease and the essence of good clinical medicine is to listen, to listen to the patient or the patient's parents. And that's what we did. And I, at, at that stage, we, um, the dean of the medical school took me aside and said, if you continue this vaccine safety research, it will not be good for your career. And it's, he was right in as much as <laughs> it, it did have a major impact on my my medical career because when you when you threaten the pharmaceutical industry's profitability or public health policy both in this particular case which was unusual then there is no price you will not pay and uh, and it's not it's you know it's just ruthless pragmatism you you know you you threaten me and I will destroy you and and so it became somewhat difficult to continue and I moved to America. I, I, my career changed dramatically. I moved to the United States to continue the work or to try and continue the work because the US has a, a, an infrastructure for healthcare that allows for private research and private research funding. And there is a tremendous legacy of philanthropy in, in America that enabled the work to continue. So it did to a certain point and then um, it became clear that, that I wasn't going to be able to continue doing this. It, others have and that's been great but I became a filmmaker and I became a filmmaker because over the years many people had come to me from industry or from government and said we are involved in vaccine safety work or vaccine research and we've done some terrible things and I can no longer live with that and here's the evidence and so I decided that this was the time to turn it into film and that's what I did and many years ago I became a filmmaker and we just released the third major motion picture. Well could you tell us about the motion picture and how people can support your work Andy? Absolutely I'm delighted. I, the film is called 1986 The Act. The 1986 refers to the year in which Ronald Reagan signed the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act into law and also is a play on George Orwell's 1984. Mm -hmm. It's a dystopian future that uh, he envisaged for the world if we allowed totalitarianism and, and private interests to, um, to take over. 
uh, and the Act refers to the, the law that was passed. And this, the, the important thing that people need to understand about this law is that it took financial liability away from the vaccine manufacturers for death and injury caused by their vaccines. And when you do that in a free market economy, when you take a product that is unsafe or an industry out of the, away from the constraints of the free market, then you have a major problem. When there is no liability for death or damage done by your products, there is no incentive for safety. Indeed, there's a disincentive. Why would you conduct safety studies that might hurt your bottom line? You wouldn't do it. You would circumvent them. You would foreshorten them. You would make them imperfect so that they didn't reveal the problems inherent in your products. Then you take those products and you make them mandatory. Children have to have vaccines or they can't go to school, public or private school now in California. So you have a guaranteed market at one end and you have no liability at the other. All you can do, Ted, is to make a huge profit and that's exactly what the pharmaceutical industry did. And it gets worse. And that is what the film is about. It not only tells the history of how the act came into being, but it, it tells of the intended and unintended consequences because what happened next is that the industry conspired with federal agencies such as the CDC and the FDA who did not want the act to pass. They didn't want a system that compensated children for vaccine damage because they didn't want anyone to know that vaccines could cause damage. So every time a child was compensated, it told the public that this can happen. So they conspired together to undermine the intent of Congress in compensating children damaged by vaccines, in making vaccines safer. They destroyed that. And the only successful element of the act was the indemnification of the pharmaceutical industry. And what people, those who know something about the act, and I thought I thought I knew about this going into making the film, is that it really came into being because the pertussis, the whooping cough vaccine, was dangerous. It was causing a lot of brain damage and death in children, a lot of sudden infant death syndrome, or what was called sudden infant death syndrome. And the industry said to the government, look, we're getting sued for this we don't make a lot of money on these vaccines and you are insisting that children get them we have made it as safe as we possibly can and therefore you need to take on liability for these these injuries if you want children to continue to get this vaccine in other words congress had its feet held to the fire and that it was blackmailed and it was a complete and utter lie and what the film reveals is the extraordinary lengths that the industry went to to conceal from the government from people from the doctors and from the public the truth about that pertussis vaccine which was the root of all the problems we now face in the world and that may sound like an overstatement but the 1986 act had the effect of making the pharmaceutical industry, the vaccine makers, so wealthy, so powerful, that they came to own politicians, they came to write policy, to mandate vaccines, they came to own medical training. 
the education of doctors. They owned the medical journals so they could decide what was published and what was not published. They owned the media through direct-to-consumer advertising, and then they globalized this policy. So the immense wealth that came from the passage of that 1986 Act gave the industry the power to own everything worldwide except one thing, Ted, and that is the hearts and minds of the people. And now we find ourselves in this extraordinary situation with the threat of seven billion people worldwide receiving mandatory COVID-19 vaccine at the demands, seemingly, of people like Bill Gates with huge financial interests in the success of his vaccination policy and no liability and people need to understand how we got here because only by understanding how we got here through watching this film will they understand why we are here now and where we are going in the future if we do not take a stand for health freedom right now i couldn't agree with you more andy and i'm so so proud and admire you so much for your wonderful work for standing up for truth um the purpose of my show is to raise consciousness and make this world a better place. And you're doing great work uh, to do that and helping to raise the consciousness by just simply inform, informing people. Um, I'm sure you've heard of this, Sandy, but I've heard from Dr. Judy Mikovits and as well as Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who's been on my show before, that some of the some of the, the incredible things they put in, the, in these vaccinations, like the MMR vaccinations, are fetal tissue from little boys and aborted babies, like uh, male and female babies. The problem I've heard, Del Bigtree was telling me about this on my show the other day, that when you put in the aborted fetus, for example, from a male baby into a young girl, it, later in life, it changes the RNA DNA so that makes she, 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 she thinks that she's a man. Uh, uh, and then you do the same thing with a boy. If you, if you inject fetal tissue from a girl, a baby, aborted a female baby into a little boy, he later in life thinks he's a little girl. So they have this transgender sexual identity problems, and often kids uh, lose interest in sex whatsoever. And what's interesting is that I don't know what the scientific basis is for that, but it's totally ludicrous and crazy why anybody would ever want to do that. But according to the Luciferians, their god is, is something called Baphomet. Baphomet is a Luciferian god that's half female and half male. So perhaps there's a, an agenda for transgenderism in the United States and, and worldwide to make everybody like Baphomet their Luciferian god. Have you heard about that, by the way? No, I haven't. I mean, I know about the uh, the use of yes. aborted fetal cells in vaccine production, but not the sort of not the Luciferian connotations of that. Um, there were historical just why to understand how we got to this situation where you people are saying why why would you use cells from a, an aborted fetus in, in making vaccines e, e, even at a biological level let alone a moral and ethical level and the reason was that they started making live viral vaccines like measles mumps rubella chickenpox uh, so the polio live polio vaccine had to be grown viruses only grow in cells so they had to be grown in cells in culture in a laboratory to propagate, to replicate themselves, to make the vaccine. And so what they started doing many, many years ago is to use animal cells, cells from 
other animals. What they did and what they knew they had done at the time is to grow them in animal cells, such as, for example, monkey cells that contain viruses from monkeys. Now, those viruses, many of them had come into a harmonious relationship over millions of years with those monkeys. They were no longer dangerous to the monkeys. But when you took the products of that vaccine and you put them into humans, including the monkey viruses, they jumped species, then they were catastrophic. They produced diseases in their new hosts that weren't used to these viruses. Mm -hmm. And so we found chicken viruses in measles, mumps, rubella vaccine. We found monkey viruses in polio vaccines, and it went on and on and on. And they realized they had a problem. They didn't tell anyone they had a problem, but they realized they had a problem. And so they had to move. They thought theoretically, we need to move to using human cells. We have to get away from using animal cells. And so they did that, and they did that by virtue of taking the cells of aborted fetuses. Now, that introduced a whole host of other problems, which, which as you say, Teresa Dysha has spoken very eloquently about Dr. Teresa Dysha, including the fact that human DNA is itself very inflammatory when put into another human host not least of which are the potential gender problems that you have talked about. You're putting someone else's genetic material into a baby. Are we surprised that it then has a knock-on biological effect in influencing the biology of, of, of that person into whom it's been injected? We shouldn't be surprised at all. So there's every theoretical reason to believe that, yes, there may well be consequences in determining, determining sexuality by injecting cells from an aborted boy into a girl or a girl to a boy. Then we come to the ethical and moral implications of it, which are to so many people abhorrent. And they're not told about it. They don't know about it. So the issue of informed consent never is allowed to raise its head right. and perhaps even more surprisingly ted is that when it has been discussed amongst the hierarchy of the catholic church for example it has been determined that it's okay that despite using the products of an aborted fetus it's okay because the benefits to humanity outweigh the moral implications what extraordinary hypocrisy is that so it, it, it operates on so many levels. It's a biological catastrophe. It's an unknown over which we have no control once we've injected these things. And it also raises so many ethical and moral issues that seem to have been brushed under the carpet by the leaders of one of the, at least the, 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 the Catholic Church and perhaps others as well. Well, as you know, Bill Gates is what's called a eugenicist, which is a polite word of, of, of eliminating people. Um, I don't know who appointed him God, but he, in his opinion, there's too many people on the planet. So that's another agenda, I think, that Mr. Gates is pushing. But um, uh, I wanted to mention, people don't realize it, but um, recently the Rockefeller Foundation um, 
uh, funded a study um, to to require people to have COVID tests before they fly. And United Airlines and Cathay Pacific recently tested that on several flights, both within the United States and in, and in Asia. Um, I've heard that the tests themselves, many of which are made in China, actually contain the COVID virus. And so if you take the test, guess what? You get the virus. The second thing is that the virus test itself is only um, is 20% accurate, if that, it's with 80% false positives. So why on earth would you ever want to um, have a test to determine whether you have the virus that doesn't work anyway? Um, it appears also that this that these this funding given by the Rockefeller Foundation for this uh, study was actually started before this COVID thing started actually last year. So they had it all planned out. Have you heard about that? By the I have, and I've heard many, many stories, and there have been a lot of documents that have been produced that confirm the veracity of of at least uh, a high proportion of these stories. We, we, we know on the tour with this film, and I, I'm now up in Boise, Idaho, and we've been all over the country. We have these discussions because we have to fly. And so my team and I talk about this. And we, what's fascinating, Ted, is that the airlines are on their knees financially now because people are not flying because of COVID. So they are really struggling. And now they're going to issue an airline app that says, I am or I am not immune. And it will be, I am or I'm not vaccinated against COVID-19. And I presume that when I scan that, just going to get onto the aircraft, if it says that I am neither immune nor vaccinated, I will be turned away. Now, this is really interesting because I will say to that airline, right, I'm not going to get vaccinated, therefore I'm not going to fly with your airline ever again. And if that applies to all airlines, I will not fly with any airline again. That is going to bring an industry that it's already on its knees to bankruptcy. So what is bizarre to me, Ted, in this, in this free market economy is that the airlines have become the police, the enforcers for the public health authorities and the vaccine manufacturers. Surely someone in the airlines is going to turn around and say, hang on a minute, what are we doing going to the wall financially because we're being made to enforce the policies of these other people? And this happened in the schools in California. The schools became the arbiters of whether children could be educated or not according to whether they'd had their, all their vaccines according to the CDC schedule. And the teachers said, no, no, this is not our purpose. Our purpose is to educate children. Right. We're not here to be the police force for you people. Right. And we're the ones who are losing money because parents are saying, no, we're going to leave and we're going to go and form a cooperative of homeschoolers. Right. And that's exploded in, in these states that are mandating vaccination. And the schools, the public schools, the private schools are going to the wall as a consequence. Teachers right. are losing their jobs. How is this allowed to happen? in a free market and my belief is that in a free market the the market always wins it always wins and it will be self-defeating when you start to make other industries the arbiter of whether people can or cannot live their lives in a normal way fine i have to tell you that not all airlines of course are the same and um i uh, american airlines for example has been raising monies for the hopi for clean water and food 
um, and they've so far raised uh, about $20,000. That was done with the help of President Trump, who worked behind the scenes on doing that. So I want to give a good plug for American Airlines today that I have yeah. a worldwide audience. And if you are flying United, cancel your tickets, get your money back. And if you're flying Cathay Pacific, cancel your tickets and boycott both Cathay Pacific and United. Um, these airlines are up to at no, no good. Um, they have evil intentions regarding their own client base. I would never fly an airline that required a COVID test or a vaccination. No, forget it. Absolutely forget it. Give your business to an airline like American Airlines, who's we're now working with President Trump to help the poor Indian, poor Hopi Indians in Arizona. And I can't say that as strongly as as, as possible. I heard um, your reference to the Hopi, and I before we came on, and I. You're obviously doing a wonderful job and, and to be highly commended for doing that. And I'm delighted that President Trump and American uh, are, are right behind that. So good. Yeah. Long may America resist this ridiculous situation that United and Cathay Pacific are now putting themselves in. Well, it's, it's going to fail. And what's interesting is it appears that the funding was started by Rockefeller before the we, people even heard about the COVID. It was all planned out, absolutely planned out. So. Um, you know, but everyone, I want everyone to do your own research and look up the facts for yourself and then um, uh, resonate with whatever truth that you believe is right. But that's my truth. That's what I know. And I know what I'm doing now. The second thing I've heard is that Benjamin Fulford from Japan recently flew from Tokyo to, da to somewhere in the States and then up to Canada. And apparently the airline crew had sprayed the interior of the plane with all kinds of chemicals. Those chemicals made him extremely sick. He's doing a study on it now, and that's the other phenomenon happening now, that if you do fly, be prepared that you're going to get sprayed with a bunch of chemicals that are unregulated by the government. There's no laws on the books. They've taken it on their own to spray these airlines with it. Have you discovered that yourself? Um, I haven't, and so far I haven't fallen sick, but I, okay. I nothing would surprise me. Yeah. There is no informed consent. There is just, right. this is what we're going to do. And I do foresee a time when I'm just simply going to say, we can have this meeting, we can have this conversation by Zoom, by any other mechanism. There is no need for me to fly 5,000 miles to do this. I will not do it. And I will not do it in particular because of the constraints put upon my personal freedoms by the airlines or others, uh, TSA, whatever it may be. And it will have a devastating effect upon those particular elements of the economy. I've got free airline credits now. I could use, I could have used for my trip to Mexico, but forget it. I drove. I mean, it took me 30 hours, but so what? I saw the country. You see, you see that's right. You see a great, you see a great deal of the country. And, uh, yeah. yeah. And, and I gave a lot of money to the oil industry for the, for the gasoline <laughs> I got. So I, I didn't support the airlines, but I supported the petrol oil industry, you know? Oh. One or the other, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> support somehow. <laughs> but um, I, I want to bring up an interesting um, uh, topic for you, Andy. I don't know if you've heard of this book. It's called The Other Side of Autism by Laura Hirsch. It was published 10 years ago. Have you heard of the book, by the way? You know, I have. I'd forgotten about it. Remind me. Uh, okay, sure. It's uh, uh, She had followed, dutifully followed the guidelines that her md had told her to get a vaccination mmr vaccination for a little boy so she did her little boy gets up ends up getting autism and then he, she goes back to the doctor and the, and the doctor says oh just we can't do anything about it but uh you know go ahead and take two aspirin here's a glass of water and the bill's 250 dollars for my medical advice and um and so she got kind of frustrated so she turned to psychics 
and she said, what's going on here? How does, why is my child suffering this? Is there a solution? And she contacts uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt and Albert Einstein, and both Albert, who's a friend of mine, and President uh, Roosevelt, comes in and they said, look, what's, what's happening is that the U.S., your government, uh, since 1972, has been producing chemical weapons underneath the sands of Nevada, uh, near uh, Winnemucca, and in these chemical factories, which are banned by illegal tre- by treaties, by the way, but they're doing it anyway, um, they have accidents once in a while, and botulism, anthrax, you name it, it, it escapes from the desert, these factories, and they get blown in the air, and the, the winds go from Nevada um, north to Idaho, um, where those famous potatoes are and Eastern Oregon, Eastern Washington. And um, when when kids eat those potatoes, like in French fries and fast food restaurants, um, the combination of the MMR vaccination, there's something in the vaccination itself, plus the chemicals residue in these tuber crops that's so deadly, triggers the autism. And so um, that's, it's a combination, it's a two-step factor. So that's what she found out. Um, but the good news is, is that, um, so if you do have children, don't have meat potatoes and don't get the MMR vaccination. Um, but the good news, she said, is that um, there would be a cure for autism by the end of, of um, like, like 2025, well, 2025, 2023. So there is a cure coming for it. The scientists will discover it. But I wanted to mention that to you in case you, you heard about it. So. No, I haven't. It's, it's a fascinating story. And yeah. Uh, yeah. I'd love to read it. It's uh, it's the other side of autism. Uh, I'll, I'll get you a copy. Thank I'll you. I, you I, I appreciate that very much. Thank you, Ted. Yeah, I, I, Laura's been on my show before years ago, and, and I will uh, I will get you a, get you a copy. So, um, uh, tell me, Andy. You know, let's say you're a parent uh, living in a state like California, mm-hmm. um, which requires vaccinations. Or um, what, what can people do to stand up to this madness? And they've got little children, and they don't want to have them vaccinated. Right, this is an interesting one, Ted, and it's particularly pertinent at this time of year as we approach the November election. But right. it is going to be highly dependent upon how you vote. And this has played out at the state level. It's right. a matter of fact, and I, I've been an observer on American politics for the last 30 years. I don't have any past affiliations or allegiances. My father didn't vote Democrat all his life or Republican all his life. But I deal in plain simple facts. That is that wherever at the state level there has been a mandatory vaccination law attempted or passed, then it has been divided directly down political lines. The Democrats are in favor of mandatory vaccination and the Republicans are against it. And that is now playing out at a federal level as well. Even yesterday, we have a situation where Scott Atlas and President Trump have said there is a going to be a COVID-19 vaccine, but it will not be mandatory. It will only be for those who want it. On the other hand, we have Kamala Harris trying to sponsoring a law at a federal level to remove all religious exemptions to vaccination and we have joe biden explicitly saying we are going to have a mandate when i get into power when i get into the white house there is going to be a mandatory coronavirus vaccine for this covid 19 disorder and 
we will remain in lockdown as a country in masks until such time as that vaccine becomes available so it is divided at a federal level precisely down political lines as well as to the issue of mandatory vaccination so californians have been the architects of their own demise in many ways they are staunchly democratic at a at a population level and they have politicians who reflect the policies i've just described mandatory vaccination that has been allowed to really take to demolish the, the californian constitution of everybody's right to an education by taking away that right if you're not vaccinated and now they're going after homeschoolers as well so Californians are leaving California in droves, and it is those who can afford to leave. And so the taxpayers, the middle class, the professional classes, the, the film and entertainment industry are leaving California and going elsewhere. They're going to Texas, they're going to Nashville, they're going elsewhere, they're going to, they are leaving California. And that leaves California even more financially destitute than it already is because those people who have sustained the state and its social welfare systems are leaving. To the extent that I now gather that um, Governor Newsom is trying to impose a departure tax on people leaving and to backdate it 10 years. <laughs> if you left California within the last 10 years, we're going to tax you on it. I can't God. see that working. You know, you, know what, I mean, what, you know what they call Governor Newsom in California? Governor Newsom's. <laughs> That's right, he's more than a, just more than a nuisance. But the truth is that, that California is in a very, very difficult position. And it though. is, I'm afraid, by virtue of the way in which people have conducted themselves politically. And for this, people ask me this, and I say, look, in this forthcoming election. Okay, so remember, in this forthcoming election. 